Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sienna Senior Living, Inc.'s Q1 2020 conference call. Today's call is hosted by Lois Cormack, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Nitin Jane, Chief Financial Officer and Chief Investment Officer of Sienna Senior Living, Inc. Please be aware that certain statements or information discussed today are forward-looking, and actual results could differ materially. The company does not undertake to update any forward-looking statement or information. Please refer to the forward-looking information and risk factors section in the company's public filings, including its most recent MD&A and AIF, for more information. You will also find a more fulsome discussion of the company's results in its MD&A and financial statements for the period which are posted on CDAR and can be found on the company's website, sienaliving.ca. Today's call is being recorded and a re replay will be available. Instructions for accessing the call are posted on the company's website and the details are provided in the company's news release. The company posted slides which accompanies the host remarks on the company website under events and presentations. With that, I will now turn the call over to Ms. Cormack. Please go ahead, Ms. Cormack. Thank you, Zenyatta. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on our Q1 call this morning. We are hosting this call as we continue to battle the fight against COVID-19. Here in Canada and around the globe, the senior living residences have been at the epicenter of this crisis. Before Nitin and I give you an update on our operating and financial results, I want to provide you with some insight into how we have been managing amidst the crisis. First and foremost, I would like to express my deepest gratitude to our team members. At Sienna, our team's demonstration of resilience, compassion, and commitment has been nothing short of heroic. I have been humbled by their dedication to residents, to each other, and their resolve in fighting COVID-19. They're making a remarkable difference in people's lives each and every day in the midst of this crisis. They are an inspiration to all of us. We are deeply saddened by the tragic loss of life of residents and of two valued team members. I want to express my deepest condolences to their families and to our team members who are grieving while continuing to work and manage an extraordinarily difficult situation as a result of this pandemic. The management of COVID-19 and the health and safety of residents and team members is currently our singular focus. Since the onset of the pandemic, we have been collaborating with sector associations, provincial governments, health authorities, and health system partners to identify sector needs and help to shape important policies and protocols 
to manage the situation. We have an internal incident management team which is directing the prompt and comprehensive implementation of all preventative measures and provincially mandated directives across the company. Since the start of Q1, we have been proactive and diligent in addressing extensive infection prevention and other precautionary measures aimed at limiting the spread of the virus. To date, we encouraged that we have no confirmed COVID-19 cases in any of our residences in British Columbia. In Ontario, we have four locations that are now cleared of outbreak status and a number of residents and team members who previously were COVID positive have now been resolved. We are encouraged to see more cases resolving every day. We also welcome the expanded testing of all residents and team members in Ontario, and we are encouraged that the majority of these test results are now coming back negative. Despite the many precautions and safeguards, we currently have 13 Ontario long-term care homes and four retirement residences, as well as one managed home with active cases of COVID-19 of our 83 owned and managed residences. In some cases, there have been very limited spread of the virus to a very few cases in either residence or staff. Unfortunately, a few of our long-term care residences in Ontario have been very severely affected. And this has been extraordinarily challenging for residents, their families, and our team members. We're very thankful for the support from the hospitals, the Canadian Armed Forces, and local health networks who are providing assistance and expertise. Everyone is working extremely hard with the common goal of fighting COVID-19. Personal protective equipment has been experiencing global supply chain disruption. To ensure that we would have access to PPE Sienna joined other senior living operators as a founding member of CAPES, which is the Canadian Alliance to Protect and Equip Senior Living. This initiative is designed to ensure that all senior living providers across the country would have access to PPE amid the global supply chain disruption. Through CAPES, Sienna commits to overfund our PPE requirement by 35% to allow for a reserve of supplies that can be made available at cost to small and not-for-profit Canadian operators. To date, CAPES has successfully procured over 20 million pieces of PPE. Sienna has had adequate PPE to date at all of our residences for use in accordance with provincial directives. We have sourced nearly 3.7 million pieces of PPE to date for Sienna's use, and we're thankful for governments who have prioritized the need in the senior living sector to access PPE. With respect to staffing, the senior living sector was experiencing staffing shortages and challenges prior to the pandemic. This has been further exacerbated by COVID-19. 
particularly when a resident has a positive COVID-19 case. These staffing shortages occur because team members can no longer move between multiple sites. They are unable to work because they have tested or are suspected COVID-19 positive, or they may decline work or self-isolate for various other reasons. We are doing everything that we possibly can to recruit and to deploy staff and to expedite the hiring process while supporting the single work site. Since the start of this pandemic, we have offered part-time workers to go full-time and 900 part-time personal support workers and nursing staff have selected to work full-time with Sienna. In addition, we have hired many new team members to care for residents. We are thankful for the support of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, who have been supplying new staff for us to hire. The temporary pandemic pay for frontline workers by the governments of Ontario and British Columbia is helpful in recognizing the essential and heroic work of our staff and other frontline workers. Inspired by the dedication and extraordinary effort of staff in the senior living sector, earlier this week, we participated in the launch of CARES. As a founding member, and this initiative is mobilized together with three of our sector peers. The Senior Living CARES Fund will provide emergency financial assistance to sector employees who are facing extraordinary circumstances amidst the crisis. And with this, we will build a legacy for future investment in employee education. The CARES Fund aims to provide one-time financial grants of up to $10,000 to eligible employees of long-term care and retirement operators in Canada. The founding members of the CARES Fund have collectively committed an initial amount of $2 million to this initiative. In addition to Sienna's $500,000 contribution, our Board of Directors has contributed approximately 20% of their annual cash compensation for the remainder of the year. We are grateful for the provincial government support in funding the extraordinary costs associated with the extensive infection prevention and safeguard measures, as well as single work sites for team members, all of which help to limit the spread of the virus. To date, the Government of Ontario has announced $243 million in emergency funding for the sector, as well as $20 million in funding for the retirement residences, which will fund incremental COVID-19 costs. The Government of BC has committed funding for assisted living and long-term care to support single worksite locations. This is an extraordinarily difficult time for residents and families who have not been able to visit for many weeks now, and our team members are doing everything they possibly can to keep residents connected to their loved ones, often in very creative ways. Timely and meaningful communication is so important, and we want all of our stakeholders to have the facts. This can be difficult, given the rapidly changing circumstances and the increased media attention, as well as the intensity of the current reality 
that requires our team members to focus on providing essential care and services to residents. Providing quality and care and sorry, providing quality care and services to our residents is our mission. We are extremely proud to have recently been awarded a three-year accreditation by the Commission on Accreditation of Rehab Facilities for the Long-Term Care Portfolio in Ontario. With a 99.5% conformance to the accreditation standards. This is a reflection of Sienna's innovative programs, best practices, and commitment to resident-centered care. It is the highest level of accreditation and is a testament to the incredible work that our team is doing every day. Nitin will now provide an update on our operating and financial performance. Thank you, Lois, and good morning, everyone. Before I discuss our Q1 financial results, I would like to express my gratitude to our incredible team during this very difficult time. Their unwavering commitment to providing the care and services to a resident is truly amazing. Turning to our key operating metrics, average occupancy in our long-term care portfolio remained high at 97.9% in Q1 2020. Average same property occupancy in the retirement portfolio was 85.1% in the quarter, a decrease of 1% from the fourth quarter of 2019, largely due to fewer tours and residents moving in, as well as oversupply in the number of our markets. Same property NOI for the quarter was 36.4 million compared to 38.9 million in Q1 2019, a decline of 6.4%, largely as a result of softer occupancy in our retirement segment. During the quarter, we recorded 0.9 million of expenses to support the cost of managing COVID-19 and 0.8 million of pandemic-related government funding revenues. The long-term care division generated same property NOI of $20.6 million compared to $21 million in the prior year, mostly due to timing of expenses. Long-term care residences represent 56% of Siena's portfolio, and we will continue to receive full funding for vacancies caused by temporary closure of admissions due to an outbreak, including COVID-19. As a reminder, government funding for direct care and resident programs in Ontario is used for resident purposes only, and operators do not make any income from these. The retirement division generated the same property NOI of 15.9 million compared to 17.9 million in Q1 2019, largely as a result of lower occupancy due to fewer tours and residents moving in, as well as oversupply in number of our markets. This was partially offset by fewer move-outs than usual and some conversions from temporary to permanent stay towards the end of the quarter. At the time, we released our year-end results in February. We expected mid-single-digit decline in retirement, same property NOI for the first half of this year. As a result of COVID-19, we incurred additional costs to manage this and experienced a decline in moving activity. Also, in preparation for the hospital surge capacity program, we did not make significant adjustments to staffing in accordance with occupancy. These factors resulted in same property NOI to decline by 11% in Q1. For the month of April, average same property retirement occupancy was 83.7%. April rent collections from residents remained consistent with previous collection levels. OFFO in Q1 2020 was 24.4 million compared to 21.3 million in the prior year, an increase of 14.5%, largely driven by lower GNA expenses from mark-to-market adjustments on share-based compensation. 
lower cash taxes and lower net interest expense, partially offset by lower NOI. Q1 2020, OFF per share was 36.5 cents compared to 32.2 cents in the prior year. In the quarter, AFFO was 25.6 million compared to 23.4 million in the prior year, and AFFO per share was 38.2 cents in Q1 compared to 35.3 cents in the prior year. Siena has the financial flexibility and liquidity to help us weather the current situation. During the quarter, the company entered into a credit agreement for a $200 million senior unsecured revolving credit facility for a five-year term. We have also increased our unencumbered asset pool to approximately $540 million as of March 31, 2020, from $300 million at the end of 2019. Our liquidity was $222 million at the end of the quarter, comprised of cash and cash equivalents and available credit lines. To preserve liquidity, we are also taking advantage of the deferral programs available to various tax payments, worker compensation premiums, and property tax payments, as well as rate reductions in energy costs. As of April 30th, 2020, our liquidity increased slightly to $225 million. With our diversified debt profile, we believe that we will continue to have access to multiple sources of financing, and we have limited debt repayments and maturity for the remainder of 2020. We also believe that we will be able to successfully refinance our Series B debentures coming due next year based on current financial position. Our debt capitalization is well distributed between unsecured and secured debentures, credit facilities, conventional mortgages, and CMHC-insured mortgages. Turning to our balance sheet and capital structure, our debt to growth book value improved by 90 basis points to 46.9% year-over-year. Siena's debt to adjusted EBITDA improved to 6.8 times in the quarter, compared to 7.1 times in Q1 2019. Our interest coverage ratio remained high at 4.2 times, and we decreased our weighted average cost of debt by 20 basis points to 3.6% year over year. These are important indicators in terms of how we manage our debt and our ability to service it. For Q1 2020, Siena's AFFO payout ratio was 61.3%, leaving room in case of a temporary decline in AFFO. As a result of current volatility in the financial markets, we have suspended our dividend reinvestment plan in order to prevent dilution at current stock price. Dividend payments are paid in cash to all investors until further notice. Given the uncertainty surrounding the impact and duration of COVID-19 pandemic, we have withdrawn our guidance for 2020 fiscal year. We expect that costs relating to managing the pandemic will continue to increase, and some of these costs might not be covered based on the current government funding announcements. We will closely monitor our business operations and the impact on our financial results, and we will continue to provide updates on an ongoing basis. To ensure that we're dedicating all our resources to managing the current crisis, we're not considering new expansion projects or acquisitions at this time. We may also limit capital expenditures to essential maintenance capital. Although it is impossible to determine the ultimate impact of COVID-19 at this point with our financial profile and balance portfolio, we are well positioned to navigate the current situation. With that, Lois will provide her closing remarks. Lois, you might be on mute.
Excuse me, this is the operator. I'm not showing Lois line I'm connected at this time. Okay, why don't I can keep going with our remarks then. Uh, managing COVID-19 is extremely challenging and operationally intensive and will likely remain at the center of media attention and national debate for some time. However, there will be opportunities that emerge as a result of innovation, enhanced relationships with our stakeholders, and our ability to adopt new ways of working. We expect these changes will long pass will last long past this crisis. The extent of the impact of COVID-19 on the company's operational and financial performance in the coming quarters will depend on certain developments, including the duration and scope of the pandemic. We expect COVID-19 will continue to impact our operations and will require the use of certain precautions for an extended period of time under a new normal until a vaccine is developed and administered. With managing the crisis, while managing the crisis of a priority, we have put our short-term growth plans on hold. We do remain optimistic about Sienna's future as a high-quality provider of essential services to a rapidly growing demographic, and we look forward to gradually reopening our residences while keeping our residents and team members safe. I'm incredibly grateful for our team who continue to demonstrate commitment, compassion, and resilience in return, they received an outpouring of support and appreciation from residents, families, and each community we serve. We want to acknowledge the many partners that are supporting us in the fight against COVID-19 and the swift leadership, including the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, all public health units, and regional Ontario health teams, the Canadian military, local health integration networks, and the many hospitals. With the support of our team and our partners, Sienna will continue to play a leadership team, uh, play a leadership role in positioning the sector for success and will emerge from this as a stronger company of which we are confident. Thank you for your participation on the call today. We are pleased to now answer any questions that you may have. Thank you at this time. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star one to ask a question at this time. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. And your first question comes from the line of Johan Rodriguez with Raymond James. Hi. Uh, first off, Hi, I just morning. wanted morning. First off, I, I just wanted to commend your team, the work that your staff, you know, Los used the right word is heroic, so I, I can't imagine what it must be like on the front lines in those facilities. Um, so they all have my sincere reverence. Um, uh, just just turning over to the questions, how much of the decline in, in the retirement residences um, in Q1 would you have attributed to COVID versus um, the oversupply issues that had had previously been um, been there prior to all this. Um, as you uh, know, you know, Johan, Q1 usually is uh, part of the flu season before even the pandemic, and uh, usually occupancy does not improve significantly uh, in in the first uh, quarter of the year. Uh, we saw some decline, you know, January and February were in some sense uh, business as usual uh, because the pandemic did not really uh, gain spread at that, during that time. However, March, um, you know, we, we believe that it had quite a bit of impact on our numbers because of COVID-19 
and that impact was further, um, you know, was bigger in, in April as well. Um, okay, so, so maybe you know the eleven percent decline in same prep. You know why? What, what you know? Do you have a, I know it's a tough question, but do you have a sense as to what that would have looked like at the end of February? You know, prior to the outbreak of COVID. Uh, yeah, it's hard to do that because you know there are so many puts and takes. You know, quarter. You know, in Q1 we also this was a leap year, so around we had additional around two hundred thousand of expenses. Uh, in this year, which we didn't have in last year, so that'll account for, let's say, a percent or a bit for that. I think it's hard to answer that question because, you know, um, to segregate the impact of COVID-19 versus not, we can do it from expenses side, but to do it from the sentiment side of uh, of not being able to admit new uh, residents, I think it's very hard to do that at this time. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, and then the, the lawsuit, is there, is there anything there? And... Um, is it the same party or same lawyer as the 2018 case? Is, is there any relation there? Or um, maybe just some more details. Well, I'll just, sorry, it's Lois. I don't know how, but I got um, <clears throat> I got kicked out of the call, so I apologize for that, and thank you, Nitin. Uh, yes, yeah, so we just learned of this proposed class action related to COVID-19 pandemic. We are reviewing it, and we do expect it in due course through the appropriate court process that will respond. Um, as you know, we cannot otherwise comment on litigation. Okay. I'll turn it back. Thanks. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Jonathan Kelcher with TD Securities. Thanks. Uh, good morning. Um, just just sticking on the retirement side, um, so the, I just want to confirm the occupancy was down 140 basis points March to April. Is that am I reading that correctly? That's correct, Jonathan. Okay, and what what would your sort of move outs be normally? Your turnover normally. I think, you know, on, a, on an average, we have around one-third of residents who move out. Um, you know, so when we look at our move-in and move-outs data uh, for this quarter versus, you know, previous quarters, what we did see is actually a, a reduction in both of them. Uh, the move-ins uh, were lower, obviously, because we were uh, limiting uh, people who could move in. And the move-outs also slowed, especially during end of March and in April, uh, the numbers are not meaningful, Jonathan. Like if I, if you do a percent, the percent might show bigger than versus what the numbers might be. And then we also had some um, people moving from um, uh, converting from short-term to long-term stays. Okay. Do you, so the um, I assume you're going to see a decline in in May too. Do you have a sense of of how that is going to be versus April, or is it too early to know? Yeah, I mean, you know, our average say, occupancy. Sorry, Lois, go ahead. Yeah, I would say it's consistent. I mean, we're not obviously able to move a lot of residents in. Um, we are we are still moving in, but it would be for uh, kind of essential services only because, you know, for seniors living alone through this uh, horrible experience, it's been very very difficult. So. You know, we have seniors that aren't aren't doing well at home, living alone, and trying to access, you know, get groceries and and medications and care and services uh, that they need. So we are um, we are admitting uh, in for essential services. 
so that will, and, and you know, and as it opens up, um, you know, hopefully in the coming days and weeks that we'll be able to ensure safety uh, with the advanced testing and be able to um, move people in, seniors who, again, are really um, not doing well living at living alone through this experience. Uh, so that may, um, you know, we may start to see a, a slower increase in, in uh, admissions. But again, we would only do so uh, to keep everybody safe if, through the advanced testing and isolation protocols and so on. With respect to move outs, again, they have slowed and primarily because no long-term care home is admitting. And so uh, normally what this has shown us is because you know, a lot of uh, residents in retirement who need care and services at a certain point will move into a long-term care, and that has uh, has significantly slowed, Jonathan. Okay. Um, and and you talked a little bit about testing there. Um, have, have all your long-term care residents been, been tested now? Yeah, we're, we're just in the process. The goal was um, as part of the action plan in Ontario, and I'm just speaking for Ontario um, right now uh, because BC is a little different, but there, there was a mandate for advanced testing, and it was to be completed by this Friday, May the 15th, that all residents in long-term care and all team members in long-term care would be tested by Friday, and then all residents and team members in um uh, retirement residents will be as well. So that's well in process. I believe that about 65 to, well, as of yesterday, now it's happening rapidly, but about 70% of our residents uh, residents as of, uh, and team members as of yesterday have been tested. Okay, on the long-term care side, right? Yeah. Okay, and then would are they going to do on, like once, I guess, everybody's through the testing, will they, Will they continue to do sort of ongoing testing of of um, employees? Well, certainly that's uh, that's something you know we're we're working through with with government and the health authorities now, or the public health or public health unit, uh, because this is really the way to keep um, to keep COVID out of our homes. Because you know team members who may be asymptomatic, uh, and that's really been the the main issue uh, in terms of outbreak to this point is, um, you know, asymptomatic team members that uh, pass the screening and uh, don't uh, don't realize that they have it. So this is really, really a very important to uh, to have advanced uh, testing, widespread testing of team members on a regular basis with uh, with a quick quick turnaround time because our goal also is to get uh, team members back to work that are off. Okay, but that is something the government's looking to do. Ah, uh, yeah, yes, yes. It's very, very important for this, uh, the prevention of spread. Okay, thanks. I'll uh, I'll turn it back. Your next question comes from the line of Pammy Beer with RBC Capital Markets. Thanks, and uh, good morning. Just um, you know, I realize that it's still early, but what are your internal assumptions? Uh, on when you may be able to start opening access for resident tours uh, in the retirement home portfolio and perhaps non-essential type move-ins? Well, I think that's uh, BC, um, Pammy, is our experience in BC is that there is, there, we have had, thankfully, um, 
no active cases uh, or in staff or in um, in team members or in residents. And there, I mean, I think the whole um, the spirit. I know the residents are getting very anxious to get out and to uh, have visitors and so on. So we anticipate there it will probably be first. Uh, we're already planning, you know, to um, for resident dining and you know focusing on the resident experience. A number of things that we could do there. Um, but I think it'll be in BC first. And as I said, we are um, moving residents in now, but it's really those, um, you know, for, who, for essential um, essential care and services. But we do anticipate over the coming months that we will be moving in residents, certainly in BC. Uh, but again, our, our priority here is to keep COVID out of our homes and residences. So we would only do it with certain protocols around testing and so on to to ensure that everyone uh, is safe. Got it. Um, just uh, in terms of the the additional COVID related costs in in long term care, um, is the expectation that most of those costs will be covered by government funding, other than perhaps some maybe timing differences, or you know, is there a possibility that you know some could actually just slip through uh, over the course of the year? It's probably it's hard to tell, Pammy. I think, you know, governments have been extremely supportive in every way, including, you know, provincial directives, uh, access to PPE, uh, guidance, um, and so on, and very collaborative. So that, that's been extraordinarily helpful. It, it's hard to say. I mean, there, there's just so many expenses here. There, there definitely will be timing. Um, timing considerations and, you know, in, in course, you know, hopefully um, the majority are, but it's kind of an unknown at this time. I don't know, Nitin, do you want to, to add? Yeah, I would just, uh, I would add to that, you know, um, it, you know both, uh, especially Ontario and BC, both have been very supportive in uh, covering uh, some of the costs. Uh, we do expect there would be some timing challenge, and Tammy, there could be some costs which are not covered as well. And again, as we have further visibility on it, and, you know, we will uh, continue to provide disclosure over time. Got it. Um, and then just in terms of the, you know, the labor shortage, can you maybe expand on how you're, you're working to address that? Uh, I know you made some comments, but, you know, maybe, and also what, what impact that might have over the balance of the year on retirement, um, on the retirement segment? Uh, well, with respect to staffing, as we said, the, the challenge was, you know, even before, uh, before the pandemic, it was, you know, I think probably staffing challenges uh, across the board, across the sector. Uh, but what we've really been focused on is moving um, part-time to full-time. So we've, we've had good success with that. We're very, very pleased that a number of team members have chosen to go from part-time to full-time. The other is um, returning to work. Uh, as of today, you know, we've got a number of uh, team members who are off. Um, I think we have about 170. Uh, but we also have a number that have now of team members that have now been resolved. So as that um, happens, we, we hope to get more and more team members uh, back to work as well as we can, we're recruiting. So we've recruited uh, many, many, many um, workers. And we've also introduced a new role, which is a care support assistant role. Uh, which has been uh, very helpful. So we're bringing on 
a lot of new people and um, providing the uh, education and orientation and, and they're a real uh, real support to the team and to, to residents. Um, yeah, I think we have about 71 team members that have been resolved to date and so we hope to continue on that on that vein and get people back to work. Thanks, that's helpful, Lois. Um, maybe just one last one. Coming back to the, you know, the proposed uh, class action, can you remind us, you know, I, I, you know, again, going back to 2018, I, I believe, um, you know, that lawsuit ultimately got discontinued, but are, are these lawsuits typically covered under your insurance coverage? Um, well, first, I guess, just um, first of all, as you know, operating in this sector does entail a certain amount of liability and litigation risk just because of the nature of, of what we do. Um, but all of our policies continue to be in, a, in, a, in effect, including resident care. Um, so we have, um, as, we're, as far as we know, these also include uh, anything related to pandemic. So we're, like, we're not aware of any exclusions from our, our policies. Got it. Thanks very much. Your next question comes from the line of Troy McLean with BMO Capital Markets. Um, good morning. Um, Lois, you mentioned that, um, you know, some of your LTC properties were particularly hard hit. Um, was there any correlation between uh, if it was a newer home or an older home that was going to be redeveloped um, um, that led to a bigger outbreak? Yeah. So uh, is there a theme there? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the, in the C homes, um, and so these are, as you know, the older homes. 40, 50 years old, four bad wards, really uh, small congested spaces. It's, you know, on average is about 300 square feet per resident compared to about 600 square feet per resident in a new A-class home. So very difficult. And once the, um, the virus gets in, and in every case it has come in, you know, with a team member who was asymptomatic when we've done the tracing, um, you know, it's very difficult because there's, uh, you know, unfortunately residents in four bad wards or rooms, and it's really difficult to put the isolation protocols in place where you're uh, isolating residents. And once, um, you know, you have a COVID positive and you're waiting for test results and so on, it uh, it's difficult to start moving residents around and potentially exposing uh, unnecessarily, and so on. So it becomes very complicated in um, in a C-class home. So I think that's definitely been the experience to date. Uh, if you look at it, is it's uh, it is worse um, and harder to contain in a C-class property. Um, and I know this is, is is early into this, but you know, is the industry calling for maybe you know the, a quicker adoption of the capital renewal program or, or more funding? Um, to kind of accelerate that program, or is it just kind of wait till this is over before that's decided? Yeah, well, I think that'll come. I mean, right now we're really we're focused on managing this situation and uh, containing containing it. We do, as I I said, we have um, a number that have been particularly hard hit, uh, two of which are C class homes. Uh, so we're really, I think, the sector's really focused right now on doing everything we can to uh, do the right things to manage this uh, pandemic uh, and be able to manage then looking out further. So that will come. 
uh, as will I'm sure other policy changes and so on, which you know we would we would welcome to participate in those discussions and to be a part of. Um, and then on the policy where um, you can only work in one um, home or residence, um, is that likely to be permanent after all this is over? And um, and does that have any implication for you know kind of the wage structure for the industry? Well, it, it may, and it, it's not a bad thing. I mean, the, the challenge is logistically doing that because we do need part-time workers just by virtue of a, having a 24-7 business because you need workers on nights and weekends and to cover off. So that's um, that's why it is what it is, why we do have a number of part-time workers. It's It's important that we have that flexibility, and it's also, you know, kind of structural around how the scheduling and, collective agreements go. Um, but in terms of if, if it did, I think we do want more full-time workers, um, and that's, that's one way to do it. Um, but the other is that, we, remember, we're all pretty much unionized, particularly in long-term care. It's the collective um, bargaining kind of has the wages established, so uh, we're not sure where that will go, but the main, uh, with the temporary pandemic pay relief that the, has been put in in both provinces is extraordinarily helpful in recognizing the work that uh, the frontline workers are doing, you know, in, in every sector that where we have essential workers. Um, thank you. That's very good color. Um, uh, I'll turn it back. Your next question comes from the line of Yash Sankpal. Laurentian Bank. Morning. Hello, Yash. Hi. Uh, just uh, want to understand um, why BC has not seen any cases versus uh, Ontario, which has seen many cases in Quebec. Have you guys uh, been able to trace that to a particular factor? I, I think it's, it's it's difficult to say, Yash. I mean, the, the nature of this virus is changing. Whether uh, one, as, as we know, it's, it definitely has a higher prevalence in densely populated areas uh, like the, the GTA. Um, a lot of our properties in BC are not, like they're in the interior and areas that aren't as densely populated, so that may be one. Uh, climate may be another one, as well as, you know, the precautions that uh, have been put in place, I wouldn't say have been really any different than the, what's been done in Ontario. We put the same precautions in place in all of our residences across the country. So it's uh, not sure that that has one other than it probably, because it is community spread, I think that just the, the prevalence has been lower in BC. Um, okay. Um and your retirement home margins, uh, despite the occupancy decline, um, have been holding quite nicely. And just want to understand, I, I don't think it is happening, but is any government support um, for those expenses helping those margins? No, I mean, um, any any support for, it, it's, it's really a flow through. It just goes to support costs you know, expenses that you incur as you incur them. Nitin, do you want to add to that? Yes. I mean, there's no change. You know, our uh, full-year margin for last year for the time was around 44.7, so we did go down. 
as it reflected in occupancy, and we talked about us not uh, adjusting expenses because we wanted to ensure that as a company we were ready if there was a surge capacity uh, from hospitals, which did not happen. Um, so, you know, we, uh, we do see a decline in margin, and, uh, you know, there is no government help um, which will cover our expenses. There's some government help more from our COVID-related expenses, uh, which is not material uh, for Sienna, but would cover, you know, expenses such as PP&E and additional screening for retirement homes. Okay. Um, and uh, just want to understand, uh, the, uh, the support that government is providing to your staff, um, you know, various initiatives, does that amount flow through your PNL at all, or is it a separate uh, thing? Yeah, for wages, uh, again, you know, we are there will be further details provided on it. But you know, if if they uh, do flow, it would be similar to you know long-term care, where there's revenue and expenses that match. But again, we are awaiting uh, further information on it uh, from Ontario. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Tal Willie with National Bank. Hi, good morning. Hello? Hi, Tal. We can hear you. Good morning. Oh, perfect. Sorry. Um, I guess the, one of the questions I wanted to ask was just about um, managing the outbreaks themselves. Um, have, is, is there a learning curve uh, for you operationally on this, or is each kind of situation different? Uh, yeah, well, there, there definitely is, I think there's, well, there's definitely a learning curve for everyone, as you can see across the country, you know, I think governments and everyone are working collaboratively to understand the nature of the virus and how it spreads and, and what precautions are most helpful. So I would say it, it's learning for everyone, and that's why the situation evolves uh, so rapidly. But we have certainly learned around, you know, to Troy's question about a sea home and, and you know how it spreads and what to do. So there's a, there's a lot of lessons learned here that we would I think um, apply to uh, for the future because there's this there may be future spreads you know um, a resurgence in in the fall or in the coming months. So uh, we're all focused on managing this one and then really uh, already starting to apply lessons learned in each case as we uh, as as new um, new cases pop up or as another outbreak occurs that we're learning from every day around how to manage the situation. So you are finding that at least like versus, you know, outbreak one versus outbreak eight, like the response is getting a little smoother for you guys operationally? Well, I think, you know, just because our most severe outbreaks are in um, homes that you know where it occurred over 35 days ago so late March early April I think and that's I think the experience if you look uh, where the most severe cases are it's those that happened earlier on uh, certainly in Ontario and in BC um, before some of the additional precautions were put in place like um, universal masking and broad broader testing and, and some of these other things that we're now doing which are which are very helpful okay um given that we're a little of the ways into this now and the government you know has been 
offering up additional funding. Um, do you have a sense of how long, like that, the 240 million that the government's put put up? How how long does that fund? Do you have an idea of how long that funds the incremental costs you guys would be facing, and maybe when you know the industry and the government might have to have another conversation around uh, cost? Well, I think it's too early to tell. You know, as we said, it's depending on um, the severity and the length of time that this goes on with this intensity, um, you know, and, and the nature of the outbreak. That it will depend. What I think what's been committed is, is very helpful and we'll, we'll just have to work through, you know, um, we learn more every day around what uh, what the expense is. And so that will uh, come out in due course and there will be timing issues, uh, certainly. Okay. And then lastly, um, the Ontario Minister of Long-Term Care, uh, you know, sort of came out and said that, yes, there is going to be, you know, not going to be right now, but there certainly will be a review of how, uh, you know, the system is, you know, stands as constructed going forward. Um, what, what are you anticipating are going to be, um, you know, the primary, uh, you know, or what, what, what should we be thinking about as some of the big issues that, you know, will need to get tackled in that review? Um. Well, I think there will be a number of things. Uh, the capacity, the capacity in the system, um, potentially staffing levels. You know, um, long-term care has always been set up as as the place for, you know, to make it home-like for for residents. So just by virtue of the nature of what we do, uh, they're not set up. Long-term care homes are not set up like hospitals with you know extensive. Uh, infection prevention control and uh, all of the thing, the, the cleaning protocols to the extent that you would in, uh, you know, um, operating theaters or somewhere. You know, it, we're just not set up like like hospitals by virtue of, of the nature of the business and uh, the services that we provide to residents. It is much more home-like, including their own furniture and so on. So there will be a number of things, including the capacity and, uh, you know, the, the sea homes and there's a number of things. But we would certainly welcome welcome the review and would have, uh, we've learned a lot that we would welcome uh, participation in that. Okay. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. And again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star one. And your next question comes from the line of Brendan Abrams with Canaccord Genuity. Hi, good morning. Uh, maybe just following up on Tal's question, um, you know, what if we're looking at the future of the industry, what, I guess, structural or permanent changes do you envision to the operating model? I know, you know, other sectors are adapting to uh, more physical distancing measures. You know, if it's an airline not booking the middle seat or restaurants opening at reduced capacity, things like that. I'm just wondering, you know, what, I guess, changes to the operating model in the future you see becoming a little bit more permanent? I think it, it's difficult right now. This is what, you know, we're learning now, but for sure it, it's going to require broad-scale ongoing testing uh, for team members and families as they, uh, because we do want families to be coming back in and uh, volunteers and, 
to improve the residents' quality of life. It's been extraordinarily difficult for residents in isolation um, for, for so many days and weeks. Uh, so we do want that, you know, families to be able to get back in. So it's going to require broad broad testing as well as um, significant um, access to PPE and training um, just on infection prevention protocols for for everyone who would be coming into in uh, as those restrictions um, open up a bit on visitors. Okay, but I guess maybe longer term, do you see? Like whether it's you know capacity reductions in in capacity or you know number of residents in a in a home or uh, increased staffing to um, to resident ratios like you know can that become yeah more I think any any range and, of those how does that impact margin any range of those things are uh, are are possible and I think it's just too early to tell where that's where that will go I think everybody. As I said, are really focused on the current crisis and getting through this and managing the residents' care. That's the the real priority: of keeping our residents safe, giving them the care that they need, and managing the social isolation and uh, protecting team members. So that's really the focus right now, and uh, that will come in, in due time as what uh, you know other changes in the future to, to set to set us up for success and. Uh, to be able to provide the essential services that we do. Great. Okay, that's that's great. I'll turn it over. Thanks. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Chris Krupri with CIBC. Uh, good morning. Uh, just a very quick one from me. Um, just a clarification from Jonathan's earlier question with respect to April's uh, same property occupancy um, in terms of the month-over-month month change. Um, is it the 85.1, which is the average for the quarter, or the 84.5, which is the as at same property for uh, for quarter end? Yeah, so why don't they give you some numbers just to uh, so there's no confusion. So end of Q1, our average same property occupancy was 85.1, and in April, uh, the average is 83.7. And for Q1, the average is 84. Uh, sorry, as at is 84.5, and as at as of April is 83.3. So Jonathan's question was, uh, if I understood it correctly, was 140 basis point decline in average, and we saw that 140 basis point decline in average, and now on 120. Uh, 120 basis decline in ASAP. Got it. Thanks. And then um, I, I think you alluded to the uh, earlier that uh, while we're having fewer move-ins, uh, we're also having fewer move-outs to long-term care. Um, j just want to get a sense of is there a kind of a pent-up move-out uh, situation, or is the idea, or do you think that um, once long-term care is accepting people again, these people will generally try and stay? Stay, uh, stay in the residence, uh, stay in your residence uh, longer than normal. Yeah, we would certainly encourage them to stay as as long as we're able to provide the level of care. There may be some that uh, really do need uh, a long term care. Uh, I think you know the lesson learned is that there there might be residents that were maybe moving out and um, you know have done okay living in a retirement residence for a longer period of time. So that will be one of the the takeaways we hope, uh, but there will be residents for sure that do need more care and services and will 
will move out or there may be residents right now in a hospital that may not be able to move back into a retirement home depending on what their uh, needs are. Thanks very much. Your next question comes from the line of Hamanshu Gupta with Scotia Bank. Thank you and good morning. On uh, on balance sheet, uh, $280 million of debenture maturing early next year. Uh, I know there's some time left there, but what are your thoughts on unsecured debt market? And also, have the mortgage spreads moved for the retirement sector, uh, given, the current, uh, given the current sentiment? Sure. Hi. Uh, good morning, Manchu. So, you know, the uh, unsecured market, um, you know, is quite volatile in this, um, uh, you know, during this time. There have been some uh, REITs have, which have been able to access the market. Uh, you know, the, the spread could be anywhere from 300 to 400 basis points at any given time, so I think it's hard to predict that. From a CMHC financing perspective, we're in the process of um, uh, financing a couple of our uh, properties which are CMHC um, eligible. Um, those spreads have been uh, overall stable, uh, so there's not a, not a lot of change there. Uh, and to your uh, first question about Series B, it's coming due uh, next year. We did buy uh, $30 million of it. Uh, some time back to reduce the amount, which is outstanding. And given uh, our current liquidity, our focus on adding more as we are financed to additional properties, uh, you know, our access to uh, CMHC financing, access to a mortgage market, uh, we do believe um, at this time that we will have uh, quite a few options to be able to refinance it uh, when, when it comes to you. Sure. Thank you, Nathan. And maybe just a follow-up on occupancy. What was the percentage decline in new movements in the month of April and maybe May so far? Uh, sounds like you're still moving residents on emergency or essential basis. Yeah, just maybe from an average perspective, again, um, you know, Jonathan had a similar question. I, I think the numbers, uh, you know, on in, uh, end of March and in April, the movements have been in very specific uh, cases and only the homes which are uh, not in any outbreak. Uh, I think it's hard to uh, make up trends just using one month of number. Um, you know, so you know, the numbers were lower than previously, but I think it remains to be seen how that impacts us uh, going forward. Gordon, thank you. Thank you so much. I'll turn it back. Thank you. And with that, I'll turn the call back to Ms. McCormack. Uh, thank you, Zanyata. Well, thank you all for joining us this morning. Um, we really do appreciate your ongoing support. This is a difficult time uh, for everyone, for, uh, for businesses and, and certainly for this sector. I uh, really want to thank all of you for doing your part to keep yourself, your loved ones, and for uh, keeping society safe. So uh, thank you, and uh, we'll look forward to our next call, and hopefully uh, things will uh, be better at that time with respect to this uh, pandemic situation. So thank you. Have a good day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. This concludes today's conference. You may now disconnect at this time. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.